Welcome to the Companion Chapel Everyday Bible Study Podcast. My name is Mike, coming to you from the Great Lakes area of beautiful Ontario, Canada, on this gorgeous Thursday, November 25th, day 2021. Coming right up, it's the second book of Samuel, chapter 23 and 24. We're going to finish it up today. Don't you dare miss it. All anxieties and uncertainties stop where biblical literacy starts. This Companion Chapel podcast makes the Bible easy for you to understand and enjoyable for you to follow along. First, please consider your part in the many member body of Christ. This is your church. Help glorify, magnify, and broadcast God's saving word. My part is creating this Bible teaching media. Your part consists of getting involved in the church administration with your time or money contributions, managing marketing, advertising, helping with the website, helping with this podcast. Whatever God-given talent you have, God expects you to use it in the many member body of Christ. Companion Chapel is a registered nonprofit ministry. This Bible teaching podcast is only possible with your donations. Give it up for God and your whole human family at companionchapel.com. How are you blessing others with the blessings God has given you? Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, or e-transfer to email address companionchapel at gmail.com. Companion Chapel is located at number 338, side road 28-29, Paisley, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code here is N0G2N0. And the phone number here is 509-706-8876. And now turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who is raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, He's talking about himself here, but this this is a prophet who wrote this down. A prophet always took kept care of the scriptures. Jacob is the natural name for the, the seed line. And Israel is the spiritual name. And of course, it's the same guy. God renamed Jacob Israel. And that's the 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes' duty, or a great commission, was to migrate to the ends of the earth and spread the seeds of truth throughout the world. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me. There's your key there. And His word was in my tongue. This word for word is milah. In the Hebrew, and it is used of a royal or divine decree, and you can double check that in Daniel chapter three and Psalms chapter fourteen when you go back to your manuscripts. The God of Israel said, "The Rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the reverence of God, the fear of God. It's fear or revere. It's like God's your Father. He's your heavenly Father, and." What do you have to be afraid of? Like, say your natural father, when you're a little kid with a loaded diaper on your tricycle down uh, up and down the block there, and you see Dad's Newport come around the corner. Have you been good all day? Then you revere your dad. You can't wait to get over there and ride your bike up to the side of his car and wait till he gets out and with that briefcase and whatever, or his lunchbox. Yeah, you revere him. But if you were bad all day... Then Mumsy's inside, and she's going to tell Daddy, listen, this kid was rotten all day. Then you're probably hightailing it down the street because you fear him. So fear and revere. Always remember that. It's not a play on words. It's You look it up for yourself in your strong concordance. Revere. Ruling in the reverence of God. Now name one world leader that represents God. Not one. There's none. They represent pleasing people and politics has become the great world economy they become one and 
The love of money is the root of all evil. They don't care. They really don't care. The God ordains all governments, and he made sure where the children of Israel went in their migration, that there be a church in every town, and there would be a Bible in every household, unless you just don't want a Bible in your house. But that would be Europe, Canada, United States. That's where the great migration of the children of Jacob when that promise was given to Jacob, it was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that your natural seed line, also known as Israel, out of Isaac, Sarah, Rebecca, Abraham, and Leah, that's why Israel is that word, would be like the sands of the sea, the posterity, the sands of the sea, and the stars of the sky. Yeah, we can't count all the people in Europe and uh, all the people over in uh, Canada, United States. There's just so many of them. Do a general account, but... Wait till you get to chapter 24. See what happens when you start doing general accounts. Okay, four. And he shall be as the light in the morning when the sun riseth. The east. Even a morning without clouds. As the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. God is clear, consistent, principled. Mankind is inconsistent. Mankind has changed their mind. Every human being has changed their mind at one point. On one matter, uh, uh, the same matter, they've changed their mind. Later on in life, they might feel a different way. God is never changing. He was, is, and always will be. And when you have an inconsistent thought pattern like human beings do, every one of us, that means outside of God, you have unprincipled beliefs. They just go on your whatever human merit you come up with or your human experiences or your human endeavors or your human entitlement, which in Canada and the United States is obscene entitlement. God is clear. Five. And, you know, going back, this is such a monumental verse. Like this goes back to our victory song in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's close to the song of Exodus chapter 15 and the song that we just did in 2 Samuel chapter 22. What an epic song. Just epic. And Deuteronomy chapter 32 is our victory song that we sing. Check it out. Revelation chapter 15. You better know that song. Even memorize it. And always remember in the book of Isaiah, it's written that man muddies up the waters. Does it say God is muddy or cloudy? No. He's clear. He's clear because he's consistent. It's all written in these little in this little book of 700 pages that most people will spend more time watching Netflix or on Facebook in one month than they will in their entire lives to read this love letter from your father. Your book, the Bible, is your book of instructions before leaving earth. Drive it into you. Be somebody. Five. Although my house be not so with God. I can't read this. Five. Let's just read this. It's all translated out here. That makes no sense. Verse five makes no sense. The translation, it was obviously done by the same guy that translated a, a few verses out of this Second Samuel chapter 22. That's okay. The translators were not biblical scholars. They were translators. And they said in a huge letter in the King James, which was printed for years and now it's not, the King James is, but the letter that the translators left was a long letter saying, it is impossible to do a word-for-word translation. Listen, man, we did the best we could, okay? It's like 1611 here or whatever, King James. It's freezing cold. We got one little piece of coal and this ink pen thing with the feather on it. 
We did the best we could, okay? So check it out. Go back to the manuscripts. It's locked in by the Masoretic text. I'm going to read this verse for what this verse says. For it's not my house thus through God, for he hath made a covenant everlasting in order and things that are sure. For this covenant is all my desire and my salvation. For shall, not, for shall he not cause it to prosper? There's your verse 5. Yeah, the answer is yes. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. They can't be handled. They're out of control. Sons of Belial. But the man that shall touch them be fenced with iron and a staff of spear and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. This looks way ahead. They burn in their own deception. Matthew 13, burning of the tares at the end of the millennium period. Okay, they can't be handled. They're out of control. What are men of Belial? People all around us, lawless, reckless, attitudes of obscene entitlement, the overfed, the aggressively arrogant, the greedy, the self-indulgent, and the list goes on. The whiners and the snivelers. Eight. These be the names of the mighty man who David had. Okay, let's now here we go. Uh, David is going to do his little wrap-up here. And uh, just watch this. Okay, look at it like this. Uh, this. This rehearsal comes at the end of David's reign, immediately before setting up the kingdom under Solomon. Even so will it be at the time of the end with the true David. Okay, remember the first man, Adam, Adam in the garden with Eve? Like there was already millions of people around because all you have to do is read back a few verses, barely. And on the sixth day, God created man and woman, create all the races, just put them all over the planet. That's how they got there. And on the seventh day, God rested. God rests from achievement. We rest from fatigue. And on the eighth day, Adam and Eve. So one day is the Lord with the Lord is a thousand years to us. That's your template that you have to apply. And that's written in Psalms 90 and in Second uh, Peter chapter 3. By the time Adam and Eve came around, it was already 2,000 years of people, you know, tripping around and replenishing the earth. He had to pick one family, this family of Jacob, the family of Israel. Okay, so we have Etahadam, the first Adam, and this is why we call Jesus Christ the second Adam, Etahadam, the man Adam. The first one fell, the, the second one set up the kingdom. The first David, okay, whatever. You know, he kind of fell. He wasn't perfect. That's for real. But his heart was in the right place. But he did do some bad things. Like no guile, no malice, no corruption was found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Was that found in David? Yeah, ask Uriah the Hittite. Oh yeah, you can't because he got offed. Um, David's reign or is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is the real David, the second David. And the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And don't forget, when we're talking about Solomon here, like, God gave Solomon everything he could possibly want under the sun. Like, everything. Guy had a thousand wives and girlfriends, concubines. He had 40,000 horses in his stable. 
He was the richest human being to ever walk the face of planet Earth. Ever. Nobody, like, and he still ends up writing the book of Ecclesiastes and saying it was just all vanity. You can't buy happiness. You can't buy virtue. You can't buy morals. You can't buy integrity. You can't buy love, contentment. You cannot buy honesty or inner peace. You can't buy faith or salvation or grace. And Solomon, after he had a thousand wives and girlfriends, writes the Song of Solomon, that long, whiny song of a king who couldn't get the girl he wanted. Like, he, he could have had anybody he wanted. He wants something that he can't have. Isn't that just the epitome of mankind? Constantly wanting that long song where he wanted that girl. And that girl held her own. Like, she was offered to be with the richest man on planet Earth and she could have had anything. No, she just wanted her boyfriend, the guy that she liked. And she was a girl of color. And that says a lot for, for, uh, for humanity. Anybody who wants to pull racism into the Bible is going to get slammed shut on your face. There's no room for racism. We are all part of the human family. And that's a great shout out for a beautiful race of people. The colored people. That was a black girl, a colored girl, that held her own against the biggest temptation that girls go for. Marry rich girls. Well, Solomon was the richest, and she held her own. I can't remember her name right now. Check it out. It's book of, or, uh, Solomon's long, whiny song, Lamentation. Or no, Lamentations was uh, Jeremiah, the Song of Solomon. Okay, so we're going to do this little wrap-up here pretty quick. Um, I'm trying to pick out some points here. I'll just read the whole thing. Let's go. Okay, these be the names of the mighty man David had. The Tachamite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains. His name was Adino, the Ezanite. He lift up his spear against 800 who slew, he slew them at one time. Well, the book of Chronicles says 300 and it's just a little, just, just read it for yourself. Okay. It doesn't matter. Nine. And after him was Elazar, the son of Dodo, the Aholite and of three mighty men that David, when they defiled the Philistines that were gathered together to battle and the men of Israel took off a bunch of security cats. So here's a great lesson here. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was very weary and his hand clave into the sword and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. God had his back and the people returned after him only to spoil. Oh yeah, the bandwagoners, when everything's all set up and good. Okay, is it all good here? All right, it's all good. They came flying back. Revelation chapter 3, if you're a fence sitter, think about it. God thinks of you as vomit. Like, be brave with God. You're always outnumbered. Being a Christian, a true Christian, not, not what Christians have created now, the pedestrian term Christian. I'm talking about a true follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have a working knowledge of the Bible. Those with unadulterated faith and belief in God. And those who can see, hey, it's easy to prove God exists. Just explain. Easy to explain. Evolution is impossible. It's impossible. It's an embarrassment to mankind to even discuss it. And it's an abomination to God to acknowledge it. Because if evolution were true, there would have to be an infinite array of fossils at every minute stage of transition from the single cell to every species we see now. 
and every species that has come and gone. Those fossils and remains do not exist. Point number two, the Ice Age was 2.4 million years, according to science. Thank you, science, for proving that. And thank you for not being able to find fossils that don't exist. And documentaries and whatever comes out of Satan's uh, corrupt one-world education system, that's a global media, it's all social media. You know, they can just make up whatever they want. They can lie all they want. There's no consequences to lie in the global media. There's no consequences to lie in social media. There's no consequences in Hollywood to make up documentaries that are absolute lies. There's no consequences. Who cares? Hey, it's all about ratings. Don't sit there and give it power. But if there's an ice age for 2.4 million years, say there's an ice age for a thousand years. How many generations is that? About 12 generations, 13, 14 generations of people. The ice went down to sea level at the equator. Period. Proven. Science. Fact. What causes the ice age? What caused the dinosaurs to disappear? A super species like the dinosaur. Was it an asteroid? A meteorite? Was it, what's the other thing called? Asteroid, meteorite. Uh, the other thing, whatever comes out of the, you know, comet. God fastball a comet at planet Earth? Well, according to Revelation chapter 12, he did. According to Second Peter chapter 3, he did. According to wherever you see the word foundation in the New Testament, realize that that word foundation is catabol in the Greek. It means overthrow. God ended the world that was. And it was a much different world. The true science proves the fossils and remains of a much different world. It's ended the dinosaurs ended in one shot because something hit the planet Earth. It knocked it off 10 degrees from its true north and the north now. That's why we have weather systems different than the world that was. Because the world that was had tropical flora all the way into the Arctic. And ask a gas driller or an oil driller. They find it. When they're drilling for oil, hey, look at this, tropical foliage. What's it doing up here? We're in, we're in the Arctic. We're north of 60. We're north of the 60th parallel. Because something drastic happened. It ended the whole lifespan of the super species known as dinosaurs. So what do you think mankind could have lived? There would have been a dust cloud around planet Earth and volcanoes would have been set off. And there's pockmarks on planet Earth. Of course there is. Just like the moon. You can see the moon all night long. You can see pockmarks on it. We think Earth dodged those asteroids or comets or... What's the other thing? Meteorites? Meteors? No. Earth got hit. And when volcanoes go up, they put out sulfur dioxide that's like a bazillion million tiny little mirrors, reflecting the sun back to the sun. That's why the Earth became a snowball. It's called the snowball effect. And science has proven it. Earth became a snowball. There was no vegetation being grown. There was no ultra-fluorescent fl ultra-fluorescence around. That's when the sun hits the... Anyways, I'm going to get back to the Bible here. You know what I'm talking about. It's impossible. If there was, if there was no, nothing, if there was no sunshine, mankind wasn't sitting there in his, uh, north, in, in his uh, northern fur coat waiting generation after generation with nothing to eat 
Like it was over. God replenished the earth. Science says 14,000 years ago. It's exactly what the Bible says 14,000 years ago. The Bible is consistent. It is your only truth. And the truth is a great separating force between right and wrong, good and evil, and heaven and hell. And I can't wait to teach Genesis chapter 1 again. It's just the greatest chapter. And people say church is boring. Yeah, that's because of you, buddy, up in the front. You make it boring because you're biblically illiterate and you don't know how to teach the Bible. Like really, feed the sheep, Jesus Christ said. Uh, pastor, preacher, whatever you want to call yourself up there in the dress or the backwards collar, listen, feed the sheep. This word, the living word, the bread of life, and quench their thirst with the living waters so they understand. They don't have to hunger or thirst at the ways and things of the world again because we know we're down here restricted and reduced into these flesh bodies for a very short period to see if we can work it out, come to terms with what's inside of us so God can reconcile with us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get on with it here. No bandwagoners. Verse 11, And after him was Shema, son of Agri, and the Philistines gathered unto the troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground to defend it, and he slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a very great victory today. This just goes over and over. Father gets victory through us, through faith and trust. Okay? And that's what we have to realize. Outside of God, we don't get victory. Think about America's wars. Okay? Was God on America's side in Afghanistan? Like, they were there for, what, 20 years or something like that? 20 years. Did they win? No. America's wars are all about money and military contracts. Like, that's why they pick on Afghanistan and Vietnam and Korea. Like, what do you do? Like, I don't understand. Like, uh, Grenada. Like, like, why don't you pick on someone your own size, United States, and see what happens? Yeah, God... Make sure that the Bible is always allowed in that country. Keep the faith for whomsoever will. Unlike other countries where you're going to get your head chopped off if you get caught with the Bible. Because God said, okay, there's my children, double-blessed Ephraim and Manasseh, forgetful. But was God, was God on America's side in Afghanistan? you telling me these guys with used AK-47s, which are basically pea shooters compared to the military hardware that the um, United States has. And they're running around in sandals and sheets, the Taliban, that they can beat the Taliban? Are you kidding me? With the, with the technology, with aircraft fighters and choppers and, and all the stuff United States has, the military hardware... A bunch of guys running around with rusty AK-47s. Like, did you ever see any footage of the Taliban people? Like, you feel like... like It's just unbelievable. 11 days it took them to take that country back after 20 years and trillions of dollars. And America comes back. Yeah, yeah, we, we showed them. You didn't show them nothing. You showed them that you are... That your system has become watered down as it's written in the book of Revelation. Watered down and you guys are nothing but under Satan's suggestions. That's why you have military ground troops in 150 countries. Because your idea of peace, America, is through oppression, through censorship, through foreign policy, through 
economic hardships on other, imposing economic hardships and sanctions on other countries. Because you don't like the way they're acting, we're going to go over there and we're going to cause all these problems. United States, Canada, and UK are the biggest hypocrites on planet Earth, sitting there talking about wars like the one Saudi Arabia is having with Yemen. This is like, oh, this is terrible, all the human rights being violated. Meanwhile, where is Saudi Arabia getting all their weapons from? Canada, United Kingdom, and United States. Just hypocrites, absolute hypocrites. You think God's going to allow that? The people that are behind that? Yeah, you're going to meet your maker someday. And all that money that you're making off of this, off of oppression of others and just human misery, is going to come back on you double-fold, as it's written in the Bible. And uh, here we go. We're talking about verse 13 now. And the three of the thirty chiefs went down and came to David in the harvest time unto the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Raphium. Now whenever you see Raphium and Nephilim, Always remember, these are the giants that that the book of Jude warned us about, talking about Genesis chapter 6. When Satan found a back door to let a bunch of his Rapha out, descendants of the Nephilim. These were men of renown, and science has proven this. They found the skeletons and fossils and remains of these giant people. And... And uh, you hardly hear anything about that. I've never heard it being taught in church. It's in the Bible. What, you just read over that? That's the whole point in Noah's flood. God had to get rid of some of these people. And then the Bible says, and after that, there were still some raphium. Obviously, they're here. That's who Goliath was. That's who the guy was in the, in the last couple of chapters who had six toes and six fingers. Like they were just distorted. They weren't born innocent of woman. They found a back door. Satan found a back door and let them out. And they're all judged to death. But they were men of renown. And they attacked the bloodline, the posterity of our Lord Jesus, the progeny of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only one found still, it says perfect, was Noah. But he was only perfect in, in his bloodlines from Adam and Eve. He was the last one. In that little world there, that little part of the world over there, when it says the, the flood was the world, it's figure of speech in Doshe. It's a part for a whole. And what that means is it was a localized flood. And Noah wasn't morally perfect, socially perfect, ethnically perfect, or spiritually perfect. He just had the last perfect bloodline. And that bloodline could not be corrupted all the way from Adam and Eve, through Noah, through David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., all the way to Lord Jesus Christ. It couldn't be corrupted. And that's what the whole point of Noah's little isolated flood, which is also recorded in five other history books written at that time. And if you want even more about Noah's flood, uh, Genesis chapter 9 will tell you, hey man, there was lots of other animals and stuff other than the ones that Noah picked up because he only had a little rowboat. And yeah, it was pretty big for the time. There's no doubt about it. Bigger than anything we could build. But, well, bigger than anything I could build by myself. But anyways, uh, yeah, it was a localized flood to get rid of the Nephilim and Raphium. There was too many of them. They were attacking the seed line of the descendants of Ahadam, that bloodline. And he... And then it says in the book of Genesis, and then after that, 
there was still some raphium left. And look where they lingered. And they linger around up to this day. They're not hard to pick out. You can see them. But don't discriminate. God says, remember, the burning of the tares. Matthew chapter 13. That's up to the angels, not up to us. He let them live. And he said, be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. It's not the blood of the men. Okay, here, let's get to this one. Verse 14. And David was then in a hold. He was in a little safe place. And the garrisons of the Philistines were then in Bethlehem. Like, uh, they shouldn't have been there. But, uh, you know, this is David fighting these guys. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of Philistines and drew water out of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Here's a glass of water, chief. Here's a glass of water, king. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. Why? Because of this. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. Remember, blood is your soul. And you can check that out. Where is your soul located? That's what I mean. Uh, like blood is another name for your soul in the Bible. And you can check this out in uh, Leviticus chapter 17, 11. Where is your blood or where is your soul? It's in your blood. That's your life force. Genesis chapter 9, 4 also. Deuteronomy chapter 12, 23. Remember, Ezekiel chapter 18, 4. God owns all souls. Don't put someone else's soul in jeopardy for a glass of water. For just for yourself. There was other things to drink there. This was just a great little lesson. Don't put your others, don't put someone else's soul in jeopardy. You'll be held accountable. So David gave it up for God. He says, no, God, you have this glass of water. I shouldn't have done that. David's repenting a lot. He's recognizing that he's doing stuff something wrong. And he repents. The second David did, never, did nothing wrong. No guile, no malice, no corruption was found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now here we go. And Abishai, brother of Job, son of Zerai, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among thee. Was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain, howbeit attained not to be the first three. Okay, now reading that is like... It doesn't matter. Just read it for yourself. And Benaniah, the son of Johadiah, this guy was special forces... Badass, Benaiah. Okay, we've we've gone through this book of Samuel pretty thoroughly, and you can read about all these guys. He was a valiant man of Kazabel, Kabazil, who had done many acts. He slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of the pit of the snow. He slew an Egyptian, a goodly man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. But when he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear of the Egyptian's hands and slew him with his own spear. Now these things did Benaiah, the son of Jadot, Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but attained not the first three, and David set him over the guard. Now watch this. Job gets totally punked here. Totally punked off. Because notice that there's no shout out for Job himself, but is like the brother of Job, or uh, they refer to Job's uh, armor bearer, but not to Job. Because this is all about loyalty to the end. Job's name is here, but not himself. 
like the brother of Job or his armor bearer. Because when the time of the end comes, when it's last words, it's all about loyalty will be the one test. Thou shalt not commit adultery or idolatry. You cannot be unfaithful to God. Like the Ten Commandments, it's almost like two commandments overlap. Adultery and idolatry are so close. It's all about being unfaithful. You can't be unfaithful to someone that you got married to. You can't be unfaithful to someone that you've said you love and think, oh, that's okay with God. If you're unfaithful to that person, you're not being faithful to God. Because you're lying, you're cheating, you're doing something wrong. Idolatry is when you just flat out don't care. And you're going to pay for that. Remember, Job remained true in Absalom's rebellion, but fell away in Adonis. Adonijah's. And that's what happened. That's why. You, you think about this. Love is the test in the light. And remember when Apostle Paul said, Maranatha. Not, not in strifes. Okay? Where's, love, is, love is the test in the light. Not in strifes. The wrong judgments or, or lo, loyalty is the test in, in, uh, in wrong judgments or uncleanness or going to the law or not the uh, fornication of chapter 7 or the wrong conscience of chapter 9 and 10 or the Ecclesiastes disorders of chapter 11 nor the misuse of special gifts in chapter 12, 13, 14. But love and loyalty to the person of Christ, the true David, David's son, and David's Lord. Okay, remember that. I know that's a bit choppy, but just drive that into you, be somebody. Okay, and here's a whole list of people. And let's go to 24. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now, this is a history chapter and it precedes chapter 23, so it doesn't matter. Okay, this is just going back a little bit. And so David wants to do a census here. And we're going to find out where David got... Like, why does David want to do a census? He wins no matter what, if he's outnumbered or not. Well, because this is what's happening. Satan's getting, Satan's getting to David a little bit. If he's got time to sit and do a census, he's got too much time on his hands. He wants to do a census to say, well, listen, I started my whole military career off with a slingshot in my back pocket, and now I want to see how many people I have under me. Okay, so watch this. David recognizes it, but don't worry. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Who's he? Satan. God's permission, but Satan's suggestion. For the king said to Job, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to the Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. Again, David started off with a slingshot. Now he wants to say, hey man, let's see how much, see much what I have here, that I may know. A lot of eyes going on here. Now, did he ask God? No, this made God angry, because God gives us the victory. If we're going to go around counting, how many Christians are there really on planet Earth that have a working knowledge of the Bible? Oh, we'd be wickedly outnumbered, like brutally. So, let's just say, And Job said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto thy people how many soever be, a hundredfold in the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why doth the Lord the king delight in this thing? 
Like Job's saying, listen, it doesn't matter. We get the people when we need the people. Job's been his military um, right hand since day, or since pretty early. Even though Job fell aside, remember we just read about that in the last chapter, when, when it came to loyalty. For Absalom's rebellion, Job was loyal, but Adonijah's, he wasn't loyal. And that's the, that's the big thing. Stay loyal to the end, to the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, Job's saying, this chapter goes back. It's not chronological, okay? So let's just get the lesson out of this that we need. Okay, notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Job, and the captains of the host, and Job and the captains of the host, went out from the presence of the king to number the people. We are the hosts of heaven. Right now, we're talking about being the hosts on earth. Okay, but once we pass on through this flesh age, you're instantly an angel. You're instantly one of the hosts from heaven. You're instantly regarded as a star. All the stars sang for joy. We're instantly in our spiritual body. It's one or the other. You're in your terrestrial body or your celestial body. And we've been forced through the matrix once, born innocent woman, because we fell. We are the one-third that fell. We have to come to terms with what is inside of us and get it out of us so God can reconcile us through Jesus Christ. You can't carry any guile, corruption, or malice in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to say, depart from me. Get lost. Get lost. Go over there. Go to hell's side until you can get it out of you. And there passed over Jordan and pitched in error, the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river Gad toward Jazer. Then came to Gilead to the land of... Okay, so they're doing a tour here, doing a census. All right, let's get through this. And came to the stronghold of Tyre. Okay, they're all buddies. And uh, they went around, keep going. And when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. That's a long time. And they're not at war. So what's is uh, is David sitting there back in his uh, matching tracksuit, top and bottoms, carrying around an old mustard glass full of vodka and orange juice with ice chirping around in it all day long? Hey, how's it going? King David here. What's up? What's up? Right? He's too much. He's at ease. The father has been so good to David. And as soon as David uh, is at ease, then all of a sudden stuff happens. And always remember that. Always remember that uh, like God gave victory through all this book. And we trust and believe in Him. Now, David had Satan constantly attacking, as we all do. Satan is the prince of the air. All the powers and principalities of Satan. Everything that is corrupt and vile and, and reckless and lawless. All powers, principalities, and demons, devils, evil spirits are encompassing the world right now. When Jesus Christ and Satan were sitting at the top of the thing, on top of this monument or building, Satan said to him, I will give you this kingdom. He said that to our Lord Jesus Christ. What that in no uncertain terms means is it was given to him. He's the prince of the air. The air is all encompassing of life. And that's why it's written, we don't belong here. We're just passing through. We fell and we have to reconcile with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to come to terms with what we did wrong, admit it, and repent of it. What is inside of us? There is iniquity inside of each and every one of us. We are all sinners. And when people say to me, oh, we're not the one-third that fell. Well, you're not? I guess you were perfect then. That means you, that means you think you're perfect. And you didn't deserve to have to come through this age. Like, it's such a short, minuscule 
vapor of time. When you look at the, at the affairs of time, just draw a line from one side of your paper to another side. And put a little arrow on each end. That's the affairs of time. Infinity back, infinity forward. It's beyond our comprehension. We've been reduced and restricted in these flesh bodies. We can't comprehend it. It is impossible. Which is divine proof that we have been restricted into understanding. So that God gives us easier focus. Hey, what is important? Your, this little blip of time? This little 60, 70, 80 years that you got here? Or eternity. It's up to you. If you want to follow the ways and things of the world, they're going to die. It's going to die out on you. It's just going to be frustration after frustration, disappointment after disappointment, anguish after anguish, pointing fingers at others. If only this, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Oh my goodness. Looking back and then mortification of the soul. That's your choice. You pick God's word and victory will come to you. Like, while well, David was successful, he resting in good times, that was, that's when Satan could get to him. And that's what we have to watch here. God gives us so much. Like, we are living amongst the children of Belial. Just lawless, reckless, attitudes, attitudes of obscene entitlement. Overfed, aggressively arrogant. Look at social media. Look at the news. Greedy, self-indulgent. People talk about global warming. Oh yeah, let's see you get down to it. Let's see you not have hydro. Let's see you not have running water. Let's see what you do. Let's see you plant a garden in your backyard, Mr. Moneybags, with that beautiful lawn. Plant a garden back there. Let's see you do something for planters. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That's his planet and his people. We have no right to destroy this planet or each other. That's what God's saying. You got too much time on your hands. When David had too much time on his hands, look what happened. Got into all kinds of trouble. So, so here's Job. He gave up the sum of the number of the people of the king. And there was a lot. 800,000 valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Now, read that word valiant. Because when you get to the book of Chronicles, you can go, Hey, there's different numbers here. Well, valiant men and just men are two different things. Okay? Don't forget, in this same chapter, we just read about um, a valiant man. His name was, I forget now. Well, it was in chapter 23. When it, his name was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Yeah, look what he did. That's a valiant man. Look who weren't valiant. The rest of the army that skated. Oh, we won? Then they went back to take the spoil. Right? So that's when you're counting. Don't ever say, hey, there's corruption in the Bible. Hey, maybe you should try reading it again and get over yourself. There's no corruption in the Bible. It's you. You're corrupt. Verse 10. And David's heart smote after him that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly and that I have done this. And now I beseech you, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant. I've done very foolishly. What's he saying? When you mess up, repent. David gives us this example. We do have a father of mercy. David acknowledges his own self-pride. Remember, David started his military career with a slingshot. Now he's going out there. Oh, look at all the people I have. One million, one hundred thousand people. Oh, he stopped right there and said, Oh, what I've done by counting these people was for self-pride. 
because I started with a slingshot in my back pocket, like Dennis the Menace, and now I have 1,100,000 people in front of me. Remember, he was ripping around with Saul on his case with only 200 people. Now he's got valiant men. He had a bunch of people that couldn't pay their bills and, and downtrodden people. At first, that's what he started with. A slingshot, the downtrodden, and then 1,100,000. Yeah, you better watch it, David. He's letting us know. Don't get all puffed up. He's dumb. That's very foolish. That's iniquity. That's self-pride. And he repented. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Okay, look at what you did, David. It was wrong. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. This is a really unfortunate situation. David has to go up. It's like um, that game show. Pick door number one, door number two, or door number three. But they all suck. But God only um, chastises those he loves. So there was iniquity going on, on throughout the city too. But David has to decide now. Uh, and here's what he has to decide. Seven years famine, David? Or will thou flee three months with the enemies on thy case? Like you've been through that before. 90 days of having someone trying to kill you. Or three days pestilence in the land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. Now we know that David's character, as I suggested, he got out of shape. Because he, used to, he booked it for 600 miles with his army once to get back to Zip. When he shouldn't have, shouldn't have left there. Like he was a physical specimen. And then later on in the book of Samuel we read. He could barely make it to the Mount of Olives. He was huffing and puffing with this. You know crawling up the Mount of Olives. And uh, you know someone ends up bringing him a fruit basket. Like we know David got out of shape. So it's pretty easy to see which one David's going to pick. You going to try and book it for, for uh, 90 days? No way. Guy could barely make it to the Mount of Olives. Uh, David, are you going to... What about famine? No, David liked his food, no doubt about it. That's why he probably got out of shape. So number three, uh, three days of pestilence. Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, I am in a great strait, David said to God. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning to the time appointed, and there died in the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 people. Now, God knows God is in control, and all God's ways are judgment. And God is the God of the living, not the dead. You know, this is such a short time. Then you go back to the eternity, and you're going to realize, oh, yeah, okay, I, I get it now. And you want to be in the right spot when you die. You don't want Jesus Christ to be standing there saying, yeah, depart from me. You never took the time to get to know me. You never took it. No, you were too busy watching TV with your face glued to your phone with the laptop there. And yeah, you were too busy for me. Depart from me. You never got to know me. How can I trust you that you never got to know me? You romanticized who you thought I was. You made it up. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. Yeah, I'm a good. It's harmless the stuff I do. Yeah, I'm a good person. Jesus is going to let me in. He won't let you in. Why don't you just a little judge at there? Okay? Watch yourself. He's God of the living. So he has, a, he has many mansions. He has a place for you. 
And you better hope it's within the Millennium Temple. He says that we are going to actually be the structural fabric of the, the pillars in the Millennium Temple. Other people are going to the hell side. And we're going to be looking over at them saying, Dude, get over it, man. Get over yourself and you can come over to the heaven side. And we can get on with the eternity. It's you that's holding us up. Dude, you greedy person, you selfish person, you person of, of just obscene entitlement. Who do you think you are? We're all part of the human family here. You're getting rich off labor exploitation, off exploiting the rights of Mother Nature's right to exist and flourish. Who cares? Hey, my stocks are in oil for years. Now they're in the commodities. As long as I get my uh, premium dividend check, then what do I care? I'm a good person. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Take that up with God. It's on your account. That's what's on your account. Anyways, here's pestilence. And when the angel stretched forth his hand unto Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of evil. and said, He said, hey, change your change heart here, you angel dude. And said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough now. Stay thy hand. Okay, it's enough. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aranma, the judge bite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Judgment starts at the top. Thanks for that shout out, David. And make sure, if you want to teach the Bible like I do, you put your eternal soul on the line for, for you. And because we love you. I can say I love you without knowing you because... The same way people can hate each other without knowing them. Like hate will eat you up from the inside out. Love is eternal. That Jesus Christ has a love and compassion for us beyond our present comprehension. And we have to have that for each other. That means forgiveness and moving on. And Gad came to that day to David and said unto him, Go rear up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And David, according to God or Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king and his servants coming towards him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed off from the people. Okay? This is the spot of the eternal temple here. This is... The Dome of the Rock, Mount, Mori Mount Moriah. That's where uh, Muslims give it up for Muhammad. Uh, a lot of people think Christ rose there. Abraham offered Isaac there. God states this is his favorite place. Don't look down on Muslim people. At least they're literate in the Quran. You've got to give that to them. They are from our brother Ishmael. They're from Keturah and Hagar, out of Abraham. They're all our brothers in the human family. God's judge, not you. You be careful where you get your information from about the Quran. It's a great book. 22. And Ariana said unto David, Let me, Lord, take off what seemeth good. And, okay, so Ariana here is trying to offer stuff to David. He doesn't want to give up his threshing floor. It's not for sale. But the king said... Uh, 
Give it unto the king. Like, I'm going to pay you, dude. And Uriah said unto thee, the king, The Lord God that accept me. And the king said unto Uriah, Nay, but I will surely buy it at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto my Lord God, that are, that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar there to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. Listen, this is huge. This is monumental, man. David said, if it doesn't cost me anything, it doesn't mean anything. When you sacrifice to God, you have to sacrifice something that means something to you. Your love. That's what he wants. He wants your love. And if you love him, you'll support his word, getting broadcast, magnified, and glorified throughout the world. You give it up for God. Like David said, no, I can't, I can't uh, you know, give up stuff that's not mine. Like I have to give it out of what I, what God has allowed me. And this goes for you, money bags, with your giant uh, investment portfolio. You're making money that doesn't belong to you. You're making money off interest and usury through labor exploitation, the exploitation of planet Earth. That doesn't count. Give it up. Give it up from from what which you've gone out there and earned. And God expects that. Who he gives much to, he expects much in return. Like who do you think you are, Mr. Entitlement? Obscene entitlement. Anyways, I want to thank you very much. Isn't that just the greatest thing? The books of Samuel, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Yeah, that took a while, but I'm telling you, I've studied these books several times. I can tell by the different colors of ink in my Bible and the dates, like going back to the early 2000s. And I thought, I'll pick up the book of Samuel, and this will be an easy book to teach. And let me tell you, this book constantly will surprise you. It is so in depth. I think I skated over Samuel a little bit too much, but if I if I if I taught to the depths that it's it it'd be over teaching number one, and number two, you're never gonna get this whole volume of the book into you. You have to get a work in knowledge. There's so much said in this book of Samuel about David, who God loves so much. And Jesus Christ refers to David. Thou son of David, Hosanna, save us. Like David was one of the most beloved people that God ever put through this flesh age. And he dragged him around. Like he mopped the floor with David. And David's heart always came back to God. You know what? David never sat there blaming, pointing fingers, thinking hardcore revenge on people, or the woulda, shoulda, coulda. Only Saul then wasn't chasing me. Can you imagine if David just stopped in the tracks there? Oh, Saul's going to kill me, and then I'm just going to disappear and go hide? How many Christians do that? Oh, and they got their backs up against the wall. They just go hide. Not David. He came out swinging every time. And with forgiveness, not arrogance or aggression, even when he knew people were against him. Like when he was crawling up Mount, the Mount of Olives there, and that uh, Methibothesh's servant came up and gave him a fruit basket, totally lying to him and trying to throw Methibothesh under the bus, but with slander. Did David say, uh, I'm going to get you, man. I'm gonna, you know what? I know you. No. Look at David's character through this book and understand 
that you have to take on that character. Forgiveness is a huge thing. You can't bring bitterness and grudges into the next day. People that, be, people that hold bitterness and unforgiveness and grudges, they, their life is just miserable. It'll fall apart like a cheap launcher. You bring it into every new situation, every new relationship. Oh, this isn't going to work. No, this guy's not going to... Oh, this is going to happen. You make stuff up. That's anxieties, worries, and uncertainties. God is our rock. He is our only stability. Drive that into you. Be somebody. I want to thank you very much for listening. Wasn't that just the greatest thing? This first and second book of Samuel all wrapped up there in a nice, tidy little package of like 50 or more podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Help promote this podcast. Share this podcast. Get involved in this church. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. I want to thank you very much for listening. Have yourself a great day and bye for now.